for those of you who are uh, new or don't know, I'm, my name is Ron Cole, and I'm one of the pastors here as well, and I want to join uh, Daniel and Kevin in wishing all the moms a happy Mother's Day as well. Three weeks ago, we started talking about a place I visited in Israel about five weeks ago, six weeks ago, called Solomon's Quarry. It's actually underneath the city of Jerusalem, and it's a quarry. It's limestone, and, and what we talked about is how they, they cut the stones out of there. You can see that here, and they used them for the temple. Uh, probably for sure for Herod's temple, which is what you see some of the ruins from here, uh, the western wall there and so on. But partially also perhaps some of them were used in Solomon's temple uh, much earlier than that. But we talked about that and and, and we met down here and George DeYoung, the guy who led the trip, uh, talked to us at this spot right here. And you can see the lines where they cut out the limestone. And, And what we've been talking about is the fact that stone cutting is an art. You might kind of look at it and say, "Ah, come on, you just decide you need a block like this and this and you just cut it out. That's not the way it works. He taught us that, that stone cutters need to know several things, three things in particular. He said they need to know what is being built, and in this case the temple. They need to have an idea of that overall picture of the temple. They need to be able to read the stone. And we talked about how, how stone is all characteristic individually. It's not like a brick that you make that's all the same. But stone, you kind of had its own characteristics, its strengths and its weaknesses. And then we said that that stone cutter needs to know where the stone is going to be placed so that they can make it exactly for that size. And as Kevin said earlier, we're doing that and talk about that image because it helps us kind of as we talk about finding our place in God's plan. As we as a church really seek God's face and say, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to be? Where are you calling us to go? It feels like we've been in some good places, but, but we want to continue to say, God, where is, where is tomorrow for this church? How do you want us to live? How do we love you? How do we serve this community? And, and we said figuring out our place or finding our place in God's plan is an art as well, all right? Finding that place in, in God's plan is an art. And, and, and those same three questions, just like a stone cutter needs to know, we need to know. We need to know what God is building. And we said that God is making all things new. We need to know who we are. And we said that we're living stones, not bricks. We're living stones used by God. And we talked about us as a church saying, who are we? Who is Hillside? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? How does God want us to be used? Where do, where do we fit? And then we said we need to know where God has placed us. And last week we talked about, you know, kind of thinking about our neighborhoods in West Michigan and what's going on in our culture of trying to say, okay, you know, God calls us to minister in this place. And we talked about Paul saying, I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. And, and that's kind of where I thought this series was going to end. When we put it together, actually, before I went off to Israel and Jordan and Egypt, I kind of thought, yeah, nice three parts. We need to know what God is doing. We need to know who we are. And we need to know where we are. But as I've been working on it and, and, and thinking about it, I realized that there's another, there's another question that, that kind of continually came at me. And as I looked at Scripture and so on, I think there's one other part that we need to throw into that. So we're going to extend this just the one week here and, uh, and ask what I call the how question. We're talking about, you know, what God is building. We need to know who we are. We need to know where we are. But we also need to know how God is building. We need to know how God works. You see, the fact of the matter is that, is that God is not just interested in what we do. As we read Scripture over and over and over again, we realize that, that God cares about how we do what we do. It's not a matter of just saying, well, here's a goal out there, now let's get there. It's saying the way we get there also honors God. And so what I want to do this morning is think about that. Think about how we work for God, about how we do these things. About as a church, as we talk about plans and and dreams and goals and thinking about what God is doing to us, through us and in us, we, we don't just say, well, where do we want to go and how are we going to get there? But we say, you know, God, how do you want us to get there? 
How, how do you want us to get there? So what I want to do is kind of do two things this morning. First of all, I want to spend some time just kind of thinking about that idea and saying God really does care about the how. And then second, I want to just pick out three passages to give you examples kind of how it makes a difference of, of what I'm actually talking about. So first of all, I want to just spend some time thinking about the fact that we need to not only think about what we are doing, but how we are going to do it, about how we serve God, because God cares deeply about the how. Now, it was interesting because when we were down there in Solomon's quarry, uh, George DeYoung read a verse that I'm sure I've read before. I, I, I've read through the Bible, and, and I know I've read this verse, but it never really struck me as significant or important. But as I've been reflecting on it, it's just a fascinating verse. First Kings 6, it's going to be verse 7, but I want to start in verse 2. I want to start at verse 2. First Kings 6, verse 2, it says this. It's describing the temple, again, that, that some of these stones were probably used on. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long. Now, you don't have to really worry about what this looks like and so on. I'll show you kind of a picture. But a cubit was 1 foot 9 inches or 1 foot 6 inches, kind of depending on, on how you measured it. But, so it's a little under 2 feet. So it's 60 cubits long, so a little bit under 120 feet long, 20 wide and 30 cubits high. The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple. That is 20 cubits and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple out that way. He made narrow windows high up in the temple walls. Against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms. The lowest floor were five cubits wide. The middle rooms were six cubits. The middle floor, six cubits, and the third floor, seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. Don't worry about that. All right, but what I want to say there is, is for those verses, from two to six, he's talking talking about what he built, right? This is all about just describing what he built. And so like that first question we ask is, what is God building? And so this is the temple. Here's a picture of, of what it would look like if you take all those measurements and so on. Um, that's, that's kind of what Solomon's temple built. And that's what it talks about in 1 Kings 6, 2 to 6. But then we come to the verse I want to look at. 1 Kings 6, verse 7. Because he doesn't talk about the what. He says, in building the temple... Only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. And no hammer, chisel, or any other tool, iron tool, was heard at the temple site while it was being built. Think about that, all right? So what we've got is this temple that's, that's 100 plus feet long, right? And it's, and it's going to be whatever it is, uh, you know, uh, 60 feet tall, 50 feet tall, something like that. This rather large, this pretty huge temple, right? But what here was the instruction, not just what to build it, but how to build it. And God says, you know what? I want you to make sure that there is not the sound of chisel. There is not the sound of iron. There is not the sound of hammering. All of the stones, all of the stones have to be finished at the quarry, okay? Now, I'm no expert in building temples. I'm no expert in working with limestone, but I can tell you this is not the normal way to work with limestone, right? What you would normally do in a situation like this, you'd be in Solomon's quarry like that, and you'd cut out your stone. You'd do kind of the rough cut of it, and then you'd bring it on a cart or whatever, and limestone is plenty heavy, let me tell you, because some of these things were five feet tall and eight feet wide and two feet or four feet across. So you'd put it on a cart or whatever it is that you'd carry it, and then when you got to the site of what you were building, that's where you'd finish it off, right? And that's where you'd put it into place. That was the normal way. But that's not how God wanted his temple built, What God says to Solomon is, I don't want there to be any noise there. I don't want there to be any noise there. So you've got to finish it at the quarry, and then you take it over there. And it's fascinating to me. This just kind of gives me an indication of how much God cares, of how much God cares about how he builds. Now, interestingly, when we were at this place, we found chunks of limestone about this size, 
But they said what was really unusual about Solomon's quarry is that we found them really small as well, as small as this and even smaller. And, um, and, and they said it kind of supports the idea that they were doing finish work in that quarry. They were doing, the stones were getting completely dressed, just like it talks about in 1 Kings 6 and 7. And, and, and so to me, that's an amazing thing. Because it reminds me and it challenges me to think about the fact that God cares deeply about the how. God cares deeply about the how. Let me tell you why I think that's important. It's important because we tend to focus in our culture on the results, right? Get her done. Just give me a job. Don't ask me. I'm not going to tell you how. I don't care how you get it done. Get it done. The bottom line is what matters. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? And what I want to see are results. And, And so in our culture, we don't worry about the means all that much. I don't care how you get the job done. Get the job done. We need this building down. We need those cars sold. We need this done. Just get her done. And that's how we tend to work. We focus on results. We focus on the ends. We don't worry as much about the means as long as you get the job done. But that's not God's way. God's way. God's ways are at times long and slow and in some ways, absolutely crazy. Again, let's think about it. Let's go back to the way to build a temple because this is not the fastest, fastest or the easiest way to build a temple. Uh, again, let's just try to imagine it today. Imagine that I hired you to build a house. I've got some property out somewhere, 10 acres, and I'm going to hire you to build a house, but I give you this instruction. No power tools at the property. You've got to cut every board at your shop. So that means that if you're out there and you've got a two-by-four, and it's a quarter inch too long, you don't get to take out the skill saw. Can you imagine telling that to a contractor? Say, you know what, put it back in your truck, go back to your shop, cut off that quarter inch, and bring it back. And if you discovered you cut off a half inch, guess what? Go back and cut another one. But you can't just cut it there. Do you know how much more it would cost? Do you know how much longer it would take? Do you know how angry a contractor would get? That's what they were doing with this temple. Imagine that. This is not a two by four. This is limestone. This is several ton of rock, and you get it there, and you realize, oops, it's wrong. You know what they had to do? They had to put it back on the cart, and they had to bring it back to the quarry, and they had to chip it down there, and then they put it back on the cart. This would have taken days. I mean, and then they bring it back, and they slide it in. And now if it doesn't fit, guess what they do? Even if it's just this little chunk right here, they take it back to the quarry, and they knock this off. In some ways, it is absolutely ridiculous. But that's what God wanted. That's what God wanted, and that's what Solomon did. And it took him longer, and it was the long way, and it was the slow way. And in some ways, from a human standpoint, it was the stupid way. But it was God's way. And it's most important that we not only do what God wants, but we do it how God wants. And throughout Scripture, we see time and time again that God cares how his people act. God cares what we do. There is, I had a seminary professor talk about this. He said, there is a content to all of our processes. Think about that. It sounds odd, but there's a content to every process that we use. And what he used is is saying, you know, in a seminary, he said, we tell you that you are all valuable to God. We tell you that you all have different gifts and abilities, but then we give you all numbers and grades and we put you on a list from one to a hundred. And all of our words say that you're all equal, but our actions tell you that The process that we use tells you that some of you are better than others. He says there is a content to the process that we use. And there is a content to everything we do in the church. To all of our processes. And so as we think about saying, God, what do you want us to do? It's not just what do you want us to do, but how do you want us to get there? 
Our temptation is to sort of say, well, God, you want us to have more people? Then fine, we know how to gather a crowd. Let's just get people together. We can do that. We know what attracts people, and we'll get them together. And then God says, no, you've got to do it the right way. God cares. You want to build a temple? God says, but here's how. Now, if you're like me, you want to know why in the world? I mean, this took a lot more time. It took a lot more effort. It took a lot money, more money. The answer is, I don't know. <laughs> We're not sure why God required this. Uh, some people, the, the suggestion that I read that made the most sense to me is that for God, the temple was to be a place of peace, a place of, a place of shalom. It was to be the Garden of Eden. Uh, we'll talk about that another time. But the temple was to be like the Garden of Eden. And I think what God is saying, not just when it's done, but in the building of it. In the building of it, I want my temple mount. I want Mount Moriah where the temple was. I want that to be a place of peace. From the very beginning, from the time the first stone is there, we're not going to be having a lot of noise. We're not going to be having a lot disturbing the peace. And so God says, we're going to do this this way. And it took a lot longer. But that's what God wanted. And that's why we need to pay attention. That's why we need to do and recognize that the way we do things matters. And, and, and at least in kind of two areas. The first one that I want to think about is just how we serve as a church. The way we do ministry the way we do ministry, let me give you a couple examples so that you can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. We work with uh, Streams of Hope Ministry over by 60th and Division, right? And recently, a number of us as churches have gotten together, and there's a food pantry there now. Now, if we say our goal is to do, provide hungry people food, that's our goal, right? That's what we're trying to do. That's part of making all things new, right? That's what we, but what they did, and I appreciate this so much, is they said we're, the way we give people food matters, and so if you go over there, if you haven't, you ought to. If you go over there, what you're going to discover is not just a place that hands out boxes of food. You know what? You walk in, and you get a little shopping cart. And there are aisles with food that's been on the counter. And guess what? You get to pick out what you want. You don't pay for it. It's, it's a gift and so on. But you get to pick out what you want. You know why? It takes longer. But you know why they do that? Because it gives dignity to people. Because you recognize you're not just feeding their, their stomachs. You're also feeding their souls by saying you are a person of dignity. You are a person of value. And so we're going to give you an experience not of just saying you don't get to choose anything. Here's your box. No, they took the time to say no. We care about you. And how we give you this food matters. How we do it matters. Did you see that? It's throughout ministry. Imagine that, that uh, Don Wieringa decides, a children's ministry director decides, one of our goals is to have every child in the church, by the time they get to the fifth grade, that they know all the books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. I'm sure all of you could do it right now, right? But I mean, imagine that we said every fifth grader, we want them to know, it's a great goal. That's a good what, right? But the question is how? Because we can do that in a shame way. <laughs> make every kid stand up in front of everybody else and make fun of them if they don't get it right. We can reward those and applaud those who get it right early and, and, and shame those who don't. But I'll tell you, that's not the way to do that. See, it's not just doing kids' ministry. It's not just giving information to kids. It's, not, it's how we do it. We can also do that in a way that's grace-based, where we learn in community, where we do that together. Because the kids are learning not only the books of the Bible, but they're learning who they are. And there is, teachers know that, right? It's not just cramming facts into their heads. It's, it's the way you do it, how you do it, says something to these kids. And I think we communicate more to the world in the way we do things sometimes than in what we do, right? We communicate more in the way we do things. And so we have to pay attention to it, how we serve as a church. And then I think the other one is how we treat each other. 
Again, if we, if we can't speak to each other in decency and love, then why would anybody want to be like us? Why would anybody care? I mean, we are called as a body to care and to love each other. And it's not always easy. I mean, it is not always easy. There are just times when I make mistakes and you make mistakes, and there are times when it's easier just walk away. We are called to love each other. So how do we work for God? Like I said, that first part, I, and, and I just wanted to say, you know, it, it really matters, okay? God cares about the how. God cares about those things. And we've got to pay attention to them. But let me give you some kind of legs here. Let me give you three examples of Bible passages to keep in mind about the how, about what God says about about the process. Again, it's not a complete list, but I want us to kind of have these things in mind. Let's start with 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Here's what Paul writes there, okay? He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, and he's going to talk about the how, right? I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. That's not how I came to you. I didn't come with that pattern. I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, even though, and I'll just stop here a second, that's what, what the Corinthians really valued. They valued kind of really flashy communication. Again, think Corinth, think maybe Vegas or New York, right? What do you get in New York? Bright lights, Vegas, bright lights. It's marquee, it's lasers, it's fog machines, it's smoke machines, it's all this stuff. And in Corinth, I mean, they didn't do lasers and stuff, but you know how, I mean, they, you better have a good show. If you were going to put on a speech, you better have a good show. And, 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 and so now here Paul comes along and he says, you know what? I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing, this is the what, nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. The how. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let me tell you three things about this. First of all, Paul was wary. I think this is important for us to think about, but Paul was wary of bells and whistles. One guy puts it this way, Andy Thistleton says, I did not come, this is how he translates that, he says, Paul says, I did not come with high-sounding rhetoric or a display of cleverness. It would have been really tempting for Paul to do that. That's how everybody else was doing it. Now, again, I find this fascinating. If you were here last week, you know that Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says, I become all things to all people. Yet on this one, he says, I won't go there. I won't go there. I'm not going to do this because it compromises the gospel. The how was so important to Paul. He could have gotten a bigger crowd. He could have gotten, but Paul says, you know what? I didn't come with that. I didn't come with the high-sounding rhetoric. I didn't come where everybody else comes. Instead, Paul's techniques were two things, his own weakness and the Spirit's power. Paul says, I came not, not with making myself look good, but I came recognizing that I am weak and God's power is amazing. Now, what is God's power? Not exactly clear. Some people suggest miracles could be, but the majority that I read at least said no. What it really is is changed lives. The Spirit's power is the ability to change lives. Paul says, I came to you and talked about what God had done in my life. And I shared his power in my life. And then as God's power was at work in your lives, people started to see that. And that's how the church grew. It was not a matter of bells and whistles. It was a matter of God's power being evident. And Paul says, we had to do it that way. The reason I think this, a couple of things. One, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul says where the Spirit is, that's what we have. Love and joy and peace. And Paul says that's what God's power at work. 
And when people saw changed lives, that's when people came to Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, before he talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, the same evening, John 13, John 15, 16, 17, he talks about the Holy Spirit and so on. But John 13, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, how you treat each other, right? How? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It is how we do things that can make the biggest difference. Paul's techniques were his own weakness in the Spirit's power, and then he tells us why. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says, I didn't want you to fall in love with me. I didn't want you to fall in love with the show. And Paul says, I was so worried about that that I didn't use the show. And that's a challenge. If I were to put this together in in one sentence, what I would say Paul is saying here is we do not build God's kingdom with bells and whistles, but with weakness in the Spirit's power. And I think that's a real challenge for us because we live in a culture that loves bells and whistles. We live in a culture that loves all sorts of kind of flash and bang and lasers and all kinds of things. And it's really tempting. I got to tell you, it's really tempting in the church to say, we got to put on a better show. We've got to use lasers. We've got to use fog machines. There are churches that do. And I'm not, I don't know, I can't make decisions for them, but I got to say, I, I, I would worry about us doing that. I would worry about us because it's not about the show. It's not about the lasers. It's about Jesus. And we want to get ourselves out of the way. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care. I mean, we try to have banners and lights that are, that are appropriate. And I try to make sermons that are somewhat clear and occasionally you laugh. But, you know, I mean, I try to do some of that stuff. But I want to make sure, you know what, it's not about me because I can't change your lives. I can't change my life. I certainly can't change yours. Daniel can't change your life. Jesus can. What we have to offer here as we think about what God is calling us to do, what we have to offer here is Jesus Christ. What we have to offer is not a better show than Disney. What we have to offer is not a better experience than Cedar Point. What we have to offer is the power of Jesus Christ to change lives. And we just got to be careful that what we do doesn't get in the way. We got to be careful that we don't do things that are that the things become attractive, that the show becomes the show instead of Jesus becoming the central piece. You get what I'm talking about, right? How we do it matters. Paul says, I did not come with high-sounding rhetoric or, or human cleverness because your, pow- your, your faith needs to rest on the God's power, on, on the Spirit of God and the power of God. All right. That's, you get the idea, right? Second passage, just to give you more of an idea. Mark 10, 42, 45. Let me tell you what's going on here before we look at it specifically. Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to be crucified. He has twice recently told his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, then I'm going to rise again and God's kingdom is going to come. James and John don't hear much about the crucifixion stuff, right? But they like the kingdom idea. So James and John ask for the positions of honor when Jesus is in his glory. They say, Jesus, can we sit one of us at your right hand and one of us at your left hand when you come into your glory? Jesus says, you guys don't know what you're talking about. The other disciples hear about this. They hear that James and John ask Jesus for these positions of of power, and they get angry with him. They get angry with him, not because uh, they just think it's terrible that they're so ambitious, but because they didn't think of it first. All right? Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what we need to see about what's going on. They were right about the what. They were right that Jesus Christ was going to go into glory, that Jesus Christ was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They were right that one day Jesus would sit on a throne in all glory and all things would be made new and all things would be right. They were exactly right about the what. But where they were dead wrong was about the how. 
where it dead wrong was about the how. Jesus knows that how he's going to get to that place is on a cross. <laughs> and when they ask about being at his right hand and his left hand in glory, no, that's going to be a thief on his right and a thief on his left because his glory is the cross. Jesus is going, you guys don't really want to, you don't understand what it is. And what they were wrong about was the how, was how God works, was how God's kingdom come. And, 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 and so often we get that wrong as well. So often we get that wrong as well. Jesus says this to him in those verses. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's how they work. They work by power and and controlling others and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you that's not how we work in my kingdom again the how matters instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man jesus himself did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many jesus is saying you got to understand something yeah i'm making all things new and yeah, I want to use you for that. But you've got to understand, we do not build by building, lifting ourselves up, but by lifting others up, by giving and serving and dying. And as we think about this as a church, we need to make sure that we understand that the way Jesus grows his kingdom is when we die. The way Jesus grows his kingdom is when we wash others' feet. The way Jesus grows his kingdom is not by lifting us up, but by teaching us how to serve and how to give, and how to pour ourselves out for others. So as we think about what God is calling us to do, he's calling us to die, friends. He's calling us to give ourselves away. He's calling us to serve. And those things matter. It's not that Jesus said, well, I'm going to die. Now you all get to go out and, and, and exercise authority. He says, no, how my church works is by serving, giving, and dying. One more. Matthew 5, 43, 45. It's from the uh, 43 to 45. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking. He says, you've heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We do not build by overpowering our enemies, but by overloving them. Now, I know that's not a word, but it should be. If we can overpower somebody, we ought to be able to overlove somebody. Overpowering somebody is using force to make them do what you want them to do. Overloving is God's way. And that is loving and serving and dying and giving, even our enemies. And that's how we treat our enemies. And we need to remember that. It's tough. I mean, we, one of the things that was fascinating to me, one of the things we talked about quite a bit in the Middle East when we were there for that two weeks was the Crusades. You know, we look at it and we say, man, that was so long ago, 800 years ago, 700 years ago. But you know what? For those folks, they still see the evidence of it. They still see the crusader castles. And we're still paying a price. Now, their heart was good. The cru- those who went on the crusades, their desire was to honor God. They were willing to give their lives. But their, their how was wrong. They used power. They used death. They used threat. And they killed others in Jesus' name. And that's just not what God was calling them to do. And we're still we're still struggling with impacting people in the Middle East, partially because of those crusades. I know it sounds crazy, but I, I think it's absolutely right. God says that the way we overcome our enemies is not by killing them and destroying them, but by overloving them and just giving ourselves again and again and again. Whew, that's tough, but the how matters. And, and so what I want to say this morning is, again, just... We must not only do what God wants, we must do it the way God wants. 
And, and that's true in our small groups. That's true with our kids. That's true with our middle school, high school ministries. It's true with how we treat each other as staff members. It's true with how we treat each other as church members. How we do that matters. Four weeks ago, three weeks ago when we started this, I said my desire, as Kevin said it earlier, is to have you pray. And that's where I want to end it. Just by asking you really to, I've been praying and I just continue to ask you to pray. I don't know when God's going to answer, how God's going to answer, whatever. But I want us to just keep praying again. Pray that we can see what God is doing. God, give us a vision of, of your kingdom, of making all things new. Pray and just ask, God, give us here at Hillside as individuals in the church that we can know who we are. God, help us to see our strengths. We want to be used by you. Help us to know what we do well and what we don't. Pray that we can understand where God has placed us. And then pray that we can serve God how he wants us to serve him. There is nothing better than being where God wants us, when God wants us, how God wants us. And as a church, I just pray, God, help us to be what you want us to be. Friends, there would be nothing better than for us to be right where God wants us to be. Let's pray together. Father, we want to set goals and plow through and do whatever it takes to get there. Just pray right now that you will help us to see what you want us to do, where we are, who we are. Father, remind us to also honor you with how we do those things. Remind us that we are to be people who build with grace and peace. Give us passion where we need it. Father, we're, don't let this become an excuse to us to say, well, we're not ready to do it the right way. Father, we, we need to keep working and, and moving. Father, teach us to move in the right way, not ahead of you, not behind you, but right alongside you, doing what you call us to do the way that you call us to do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing? Once again, following our service, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room there to that side of the auditorium. If you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, they'd be happy to meet with you. People of God, now as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we not only do what God wants us to do this week, but may we we do it the way he wants us to do it. Live in God's grace and peace. Amen.